Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Clinical Pharmacist podcast. We are continuing with our clinical series. Today, we are introducing the topic of osteoporosis. And to join me today, we have a senior IP pharmacist, Adrian Murphy, who is also part of our academy faculty. Adrian has been instrumental in helping us to develop a number of exciting training programs, particularly the clinical medication review series, and one of them being osteoporosis. So Adrian has a thing or two to say about this. Adrian, welcome. Thank you for joining me. Oh, thanks. Thanks very much for having me, Runa. The pleasure. Pleasure. Pleasure to have you. So I think in your role, I know as part of your senior role, you are involved in clinical supervision and reviewing of, you know, some of our pharmacists work. And I think this area, you know, from my experience anyway, I find that sometimes it's a little bit overlooked. Some pharmacists may not understand some of the intricacies and all the key elements that need to be checked part of the review. You know, what's been your experience when you're reviewing pharmacists who are doing reviews when it comes to osteoporosis or, you know, some of the medications that's used to treat this condition? Yeah. So as you say, I kind of do note-based reviews and kind of you know, over the web uh, supervision. So in terms of the notes, the big thing I don't see is obviously my favorite topic in the world, safety netting. So I don't see any mention of maybe have they asked Joe for any particular, obviously I'll go into more detail, but any the potential symptoms that may, may kind of be a cause for concern and maybe no mention of what Joe, the treatment length. So maybe do they actually delve into the, the medication, just like kind of the basics Joe, you can get from the basics of no bone profile done, things like that. And up until the, the big anxiety is how long has the patient been on it? What, when do I do like this real anxiety? I don't know what to do. When do I do? When do I ask for the bone density scan? When do I ask for, Joe, when do I do any asset, like kind of fragility fracture assessments? When you know, this patient's been on the the medication for like twelve years, five years, Joe, you know, is it just relative? Of, you know, it, it's anxiety, and then they just kind of hope they can just kind of sweep it under the under the bed, and that it'll just go away, or someone else will be able to. Yeah, I find that too, especially when you're doing maybe some note-based reviews. The pharmacist, as you said, they're not checking some of those key things like treatment duration, and they're just hoping, oh, I'll reauthorize it this time, and maybe you know the GP can pick it up. So. I think, as we know, sometimes in, in general practice, especially when the patient is booked for medication review, this may be the only opportunity that a patient gets to have their, their medications looked at. You know, and us uh, being in, in this position, we need to take the responsibility quite seriously and you know, use this opportunity to make sure we're doing a thorough review of all the medications and all the conditions and, you know, and not overlook something like osteoporosis. So if you can attempt to, Adrian, please uh, give us a quick overview of all the, you know, the key checks that need to be looked at during a medication review for sure. osteoporosis. Yeah. So I guess the first thing is the diagnosis indication. So was it maybe done via DEXA scan? Obviously, again, I know we'll go into more detail. So is there something recoded? Where was that from? Was it started by a GP maybe because of steroid? You know, maybe they've got asthma and they're constantly using steroids, things like that. So that's a good place to start. Was there a good reason? Was it based on kind of any of the calculations like a FRAC score? So that's a good place to start. Then thinking about medication, are we dealing with the medication ourselves? Is it, for example, allandronic acid or is are they under secondary care? Um, is it kind of one of the IV ones? So again, yeah, so that's one thing to consider. Then are we monitoring the medication? And so the big one is bone profile. It is a common one that gets missed. And then I kind of 
look and go, oh no, they've just had all their blood tests, but 10 different blood tests. And now I'm going to feel like an awkward person saying, ah, you need to do bone profile as well, guys. So things like that, tolerance of, the, are they taking it correctly? So uh, we're th- talking about once a week, same day. We're also talking about, uh, do they know about kind of sitting up straight? Also, if they're on calcium and vitamin D, um, do they know to avoid that around the time of the bisphosphonate as well? Then we could go on to the maybe other conditions. So there's other risk factors. Maybe you have to have new diagnoses that will increase the risk of fractures, something like uh, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, other endocrine disorders. I mean, there's a, a massive list on CPS. So there, it's kind of something that's quite... Uh, a complex thing, so I can see why some you know some people would get a little bit intimidated by it. So then we're also thinking about lifestyle, so big things that can impact patients' bone density are alcohols are the kind of higher than the recommended limit for alcohol. I guess the lower you can get it, the better. Smoking, so smoking will also kind of reduce the bone mineral density potentially, and that is kind of linked to the amount they're smoking exercise so one do they go out and exercise you're going to get that vitamin d get the sunshine um vitamin uh also weight bearing kind of strengthening muscles so that will have two effects so one obviously by actually working the body you're encouraging the bones to kind of form a bit more strongly also increased muscle mass will reduce your risk of falls particularly as people get older so it has double benefits, all those things that then you can say, all right, I can intervene. Again, checking for red flags. So I don't know how much detail you want to go into me just yet, but we're talking. Go ahead. (laughs) All right. Okay. (laughs) Um, So uh, obviously the big one that a lot of people don't know about is what we call an atypical fracture. So what that is, is a kind of a fracture and it's around the femur shaft. So it's kind of in the middle. So quite a lot of people think it's kind of the neck of the femur was actually in the middle. It happens with no joke can happen with no kind of trauma at all it can just happen slowly as well not like in one bit so just a very slow um, occurrence but what happens is a patient will just say oh you know, maybe i've got a pain in my thigh pain in my groin maybe you know, anywhere around that area kind of and it might be uh, and then they're like and then one of the questions we always ask the clinicians have you had any trauma have you and like, oh no i haven't it was like so just it's like a red flag okay you're on a bisphosphonate, and this also is linked to how long you've been on the treatment for. So the, the longer the treatment, the greater risk. And again, the reason for that is, okay, I'm going to kind of slightly... Deviate. No, that's fine. I was going to okay. say, you know, it's sort of like, it doesn't make sense that they're on the bisphosphonate, you know, to strengthen their bones. But then, you know, they're at risk of this fracture. Can you, it would be good if you can explain that. Sure. Um, so the um, bone to form strongly. So generally we're always moving. Joe, the body is very clever and adapts to everything that we do. So if you start to exercise in a certain way, or maybe you know, I don't know, you start boxing or something, and then you start hitting things with your hands, your the body's gonna say, all right, I need to really strengthen the the um the bones around my hands, obviously be efficient as well. So not not misuse things or you, you don't want to be really heavy. So it'll kind of constantly break down and reform the bone also will get constantly micro not micro fractures but tiny little fractures it wouldn't cause any issues um, but what happens is the body will break those down re-strengthen which which is great but obviously in the case of a bisphosphonate what we're doing is kind of trying to keep the density there but what we're actually doing is stopping the osteoclasts which break down the bone and what happens with over time you get all these micro fractures occurring all over the the person's bone, and then all it takes is either no contact 
and suddenly it breaks. So that, that is the kind of issue. So that's why it happens. And actually, it's another thing that is poorly understood really as well. When we say fragility fracture osteoporosis, it's not just mineral density, it's the structure as well. And at the moment, we've no way to understand the structure. So actually sometimes as well, just to really confuse things, um, even if someone's mineral density is sort of okay, they can still get fragility fractures. So again, yeah, that's for the scientists maybe to figure out a bit longer. But yeah, it's both the structure and density of the bone that's the issue. We can, can target the density, but the structure, we can't really tell, unfortunately. See, okay, that's really interesting. Thank you for explaining that. And I know in the beginning, we touched upon also the du duration of treatment. Um, oh, yes. you know, can you shed some light on that? Yeah. Um, so I know we love as clinicians, uh, black and white, but it, unfortunately there, there is a lot of evidence out there. There is some obvious answers, but then actually there's more evidence that says, well, may, maybe we need to rethink a little. So if you go, if you look on CKS and for example, if we pick a really common one, alandronic acid, they can say things like up to or continue for 10 years, but that isn't necessarily for everyone. So for example, what we're meant to do is after three to five years of bananabis phosphonase, we should reassess, particularly if they're kind of in that kind of intermediate ballpark. So if someone is high risk, so over 75, it also is on or prednisolone, for example, and on it with a dose greater than 7.5 milligrams for more than three months and have had a previous hip fracture or a kind of spinal fracture. We just say, just stay on it. So we, we won't, we just don't even bother kind of thinking about it. Just stay on it for as long as we can. Um, but anyone who's below that risk will say, all right, really, you should have a DEXA scan every three to five years. And then we just reassess, see, is the um, T-score? Um, oh yeah, maybe I should talk about T-scores. Yeah, um, that'd be so good as well. We do, um, yeah. 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 How, how do we interpret T-scores? So when we do a DEXA scan, what we're doing is comparing our bone density to a healthy young person, the same sex. So the way it's kind of highlighted or shown to us is what we call a T-score. And it's kind of something, again, I don't fully understand it. This is kind of like maths here, but it's a standard deviation. So what we say is if a person's um, T-score is what we call a standard deviation of minus 2.5 or less, uh, that means that they have osteoporosis. So that means it's kind of 2.5 times less in terms of the uh, bone density. Um, if it's above that and be and and between that and minus one, that's what we call osteopenia. So it's not quite healthy. It's not quite in the, at the level of osteo osteoporosis. And then anyone that's less than one above is considered normal and healthy. And also one thing to note as well. If it's minus 3.5, that's very, very high risk and warrants specialist referral. So yeah, it's, it's obviously, I think that was important to explain that before we went any further. Yeah. But yes, yeah, so basically we're assessing, okay, so maybe the last time they've had their bone mineral density scan, it was below 2.5. Okay, with maybe three to five years treatment, have we improved that? So if it then goes above minus 2.5, we'll say, all right, let's, do, let, let's kind of stop them and we'll reassess in about two years. Okay, uh, thank you for that, Adrian. That was, um, you know, uh, really uh, well explained. And I think it is important. So just to recap what you said, so I guess, you know, anyone who's on something like anandronic acid for three years or more, definitely look at whether they need another DEXA scan, because, you know, usually from 
about three years and onwards, they're probably due one. Have a look at their last DEXA scan report, see what the T-score was, and then take it from there. And with regards to duration, um, I mean, the term drug holiday is used a lot when it comes to bis bisphosphonates. You know, what is this and how do we assess which patients need a drug holiday? Yeah, so I, I wouldn't wouldn't necessarily say it's kind of like a need as much as kind of, you know, like maybe they should or like, you know, perhaps I'll rephrase that or repackage it. So obviously a drug holiday for bisphosphonate is generally where they you know, essentially stop the drug for 18 months to 36 months. And the reason we would decide that is either that they've just been on it, what we call too long, maybe 10 years, or again, we're in that kind of period where it's about three to five years in, and they're kind of in that borderline, they're not quite fully um, osteoporosis or not obviously healthy. And also it's quite good. So on top of the T-score, we can also put those numbers into the FRAC score as well and then get a much more accurate diagnosis. So we, like obviously one of the things that we do to decide if they need a uh, DEXA scan is the FRAC score. And what you can do, the evidence shows that actually if you marry them both together, they're actually more much more accurate than if you have one or the other. So having the FRACs and the DEX and the DEXA scan results is actually better than just the DEXA on its own. And then and then what what's really helpful is because I mean, I, I love that anything that can make our life easier. It gives it shows you everything in a nice a lovely little graph rather than having to come up with all these calculations, think of all these uh, things in your head. And I I just think just make thing, make life easier. So then there is a line that says this is an intermediate area then it might, might as well just kind of maybe reduce the risk of the atypical fracture, stop them 18 months. And then there is guidance in CKS, depending on the type of drug that was stopped, there is specific kind of intervals. So for example, again, our favorite alandronic acid, it's two years, other ones will be different. And also something to note as well, if you're getting the IV treatment, again, you're probably going to be under the specialist and they would advise, but generally it's like comparable to like three years. So three years of the IV is kind of similar, roughly similar to five, you know, five years of oral in terms of if we're considering drug holidays or reassessment. I see. Okay. No, that's really interesting now. Thank you. So moving on from that then. So for example, let's say a pharmacist is reviewing the patient's repeat meds and the patient has just anandronic acid and there's no calcium or vitamin D. So there's no ADCAL D3, for example, on there. Is that a concern? Do all patients who are on something like anandronic acid need to also be on calcium and vitamin D or is it depend on dietary intake? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, maybe we're used to everyone being on them. So we, we kind of go, oh no, like, so actually someone's using their brain and going, actually do they need to be honest? So if we start with vitamin D, so the main reasons that people would be deficient in vitamin D are either you know, they don't go out, can't go out and kind of get sunlight. If, if a patient is over 65 as well, you're just at higher risk of, kind of inadequate vitamin D levels as well. Uh, also housebound patients and care home patients, they actually require a higher dose. So if uh, someone is at lower risk of vitamin D deficiency, we would advise a 10 microgram dose a day. If someone is housebound or in a care home, it's actually 20 micrograms or 800 international units. And obviously in terms of calcium, again, it all depends on, on the dietary intake. Uh, the kind of rough borderline range is if you can get 700 milligrams to 1000 milligrams a day, that's considered adequate. If you don't get that, then they would advise with your vitamin D to get a thousand milligrams of calcium. 
And if um, a pharmacist wants a kind of a, a quick way to figure that out um, on the CKS website, uh, there is kind of when it mentions about Joe assessing calcium, it does have a link to a really handy uh, guide. So then it says, all right, this, you know, like if you drink this much milk, this is how much calcium you get. If you eat this much cheese, this is what you get. And so it, kind of just a quick little guide just so you can um, be a bit more confident because at the, yeah because at the end of the day again going back to how the body works and homeostasis if you're one of the things is if you're keeping more calcium keeping the density of the bones it's not that natural kind of take back from the bone of calcium has been reduced so in theory you just need to always check um, that that there is adequate uh, kind of supplementation and again that's why we do the the bone profile and that would show up as well. That would be an, an early indicator as well. So that's, you know, if you were kind of worried saying, okay, I, I'm pretty confident that they are getting good dietary intake, but I mean, how do, how do you know, just make sure you're, they're getting the bone, the bone profile done and that, you know, that shows calcium levels at the end of the day. Yeah. Thank you. Now that, that's really good practical advice. Uh, so yeah, I think the key thing is don't panic if there's no calcium or vitamin D on there. Hopefully that assessment would have been done, you know, when the uh, bisphosphonate was first initiated. But since something like this, you know, the patient can be on it for a number of years, their dietary intake may have changed over over time. So absolutely, I agree, you know, just as long as we're getting that bone profile done, which gives us the calcium, the serum calcium, calcium levels, you know, that can sort of um, reassure us and to decide whether you know, does the patient need to be started on, on calcium? So yeah, no, really good advice. Thank you for that, Adrian. Was there anything else you think pharmacists need to be aware of? So I'd say kind of maybe kind of going a step further and obviously not a lot of pharmacists are now prescribers and another place that we see decisions about care uh, um, is actually when you're receiving letters. So quite often, maybe someone else has you know, like kind of decided that they need to go for a next scan, maybe a doctor. Or unfortunately, a, a common way that uh, we find out is through a fragility fracture. So you either get like a hospital discharge or you you get a DEXA scan and they just say, prescribe a alandronic acid. Obviously, what we need to consider again are the risks. So another risk of alandronic acid or bisphosphonates is osteonecrosis, particularly of the jaw. Um, also, um, I guess lesser known actually is of the auditory canal in the ear, but particularly one that we can really control or, or think about is the osteochronosis of the jaw. So what we need to do, particularly if we just get a DEXA scan and to go consider prescribing, we need to obviously, we have responsibility to think, okay, how do we mitigate risks? So we need to ask patients before we start or as we're initiating, do you have good dental hygiene? Do you go to dentists? Because I mean, that's a that's another massive topic in the NHS, uh, poor access to dentistry, because if and the other problem is osteonecrosis means death of the bone. So it not it won't necessarily manifest as pain. So it's so a big issue could occur before they realize uh, it might start as pain, but then as you know, like, like a little cavity or something and it just gets worse then over time as if the uh, actual bone dies you may not realize so uh, i think that's it's really important just to check that before we initiate and see if we can you know, get a dental assessment first if joe someone says a i don't know may, uh, maybe people won't say they don't brush their teeth or so but like you know maybe that's a bit uh over the top but like just yeah have they been to the dentist in a while but uh, it was something that one of uh, one of my tutors mentioned and i hadn't thought of it and i don't see it as a question as well yeah. so it's it's maybe something that people need to consider 
I see. Yeah, no, I think that's that's um, really important to note. You've really put it into perspective. You know, I've certainly learned a lot from this. So thank you for enlightening us and, and shedding light on all those areas. As I said, you know, this is an area where I think quite a few patients are on uh, bisphosphonates, but unfortunately, you know, it is a, an area that can be overlooked sometimes by pharmacists and also sometimes by GPs, as you said earlier, it's bone profile in, in the blood test monitoring is something that's often uh, missed even by GPs sometimes. So thank you so much, Adrian. I think that's all we've got time for today. You've done a really fantastic job of uh, giving us a really good overview of everything that a pharmacist needs to know when it comes to reviewing um, osteoporosis. If anyone is interested in learning more about osteoporosis, as I said, Adrian has kindly helped us develop a fantastic training program, which is all about clinical medication review of um, osteoporosis. So if you're interested in that, head over to our academy and you can find that there. So Adrian, thank you once again for joining us. And that's all for now. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you very much, Rina. Thank you. Bye-bye.